to share a poem that I wrote for myself before I started this podcast as a way to inspire myself, maybe think and have a grounding cord, so to speak, about where to go should I ever bounce around too much in my own mind. Hopefully this inspires you to do the same. Today I dreamt of finding my creator. I woke in a place of blinding darkness. A place of deafening silence. Desperately I looked for any trace of light. Frantically trying to hear if only a pin drop. Just then, in that seemingly endless night, I barely noticed a tiny flash far away and with it heard the faintest sound as if it was a flake of ash that touched the ground in the same space that now was turning gray. The more I focused, the lighter it became, the louder, until I was surrounded by the brightest flame, begging on my knees for at least a shadow or some shade, madly screaming, please, but for a moment of quiet, and some peace, for the sound that refused to cease was piercing me like the sharpest scorching blade. Writing this, I still feel that increasing, unforgiving pain. Just then, I barely noticed a faint shadow, and with it, the peace I begged for came. I laid there, grateful, in the shade from a flame that I ignited discovered peace in the quiet from the sound that I invited. Today, I found my creator. My creator is I. Let's start with a small discussion about meditation. Now, Meditation is something that comes from within. It is a very much real practice, tool, and healing process if used correctly on your physical as well as your mental state. However, it begins by use of your imagination. By no means is it a figment of your imagination, though. Think of it as, um, you have to pretend to go to sleep, to go to sleep. Have you ever thought of that? You have to lay there and close your eyes and pretend that you're falling asleep. And then pretend that you're already sleeping. And then eventually you are sleeping. Unless you're too tired and you just pass out, but that's different. That's not meditation, that's just passing out, (laughs) exhaustion. To be able to meditate successfully, you need to have a full night's rest. Because if you don't, you'll just fall asleep. Sometimes falling asleep while guided meditation is given is actually better than staying awake because believe it or not, your subconscious mind still retains the information the proctor delivers. 
you still get the relaxation and the benefits of of that meditation, although you're already sleeping. But for our intents and purposes, we need to be awake because we're going to need to go places that we have to be awake to go. Breathing is a very important part of meditation because the whole prospect of meditation is to calm your mind. Now, to say calm your mind is like saying calm the ocean. You cannot calm the ocean. The ocean is never calm. It is vast. It is deep. And it is powerful. Just like your mind. You can't stop thinking. Because then you would stop living. But what you can do is you can take the thoughts that come in and out of your mind as waves, small waves, in the background, like a small ceiling fan that wasn't installed correctly, so it just makes a click every time it goes. You're used to it. You hear it, but it's in the background. Meditation is like that, but with all sounds. Breathing is the most important part of meditation. Because breathing is both subconscious and conscious, depending upon where your focus is. So if you're being chased by someone or something, or you're late for somewhere or meeting, you're running, literally, you're not thinking about breathing. You're thinking about making it to the bus or the train or getting away from the dog that's going to bite you. But you're not thinking, let me take two deep breaths in now, and I'm going to run. You're just running and breathing. But right now, if I tell you to take two slow deep breaths in, you can do exactly that. So you can shift your awareness about your breath. You can't do that with your heart rate yet. That is why it's important to follow instructions as vividly as you can. So for for instance, if you're laying down and I'm telling you, you're gonna take slow deep breaths and you're gonna picture a warm wave come over you from your feet up to your head and slowly encompassing your body. As you take a deep breath in, I want you to vividly picture that. Try to feel it as if it's real. Because the clearer your imagination can see it, the easier it will be for your subconscious to make it happen. Which is exactly what your subconscious does. Your subconscious isn't aware of time. It does not know whether something is happening right now or you're having a memory of something that's happened before. Your subconscious perceives that to be the same. We know this because of PTSD and negative effects on people's lives. 
when somebody goes through trauma, there's a shock. Essentially, the brain tells them, listen, if you don't remember this, you're gonna die. So it puts it at the forefront of everything before anything else. And it has a hard time letting it go because it's life or death. So that's why the subject can't think, can't eat, can't sleep. All they see and think and feel is the trauma. Because it was an alarming state for the body. And the body and your brain and your mind all rang the bells at once and said, you do not forget this. Unfortunately, we don't do the same thing with positive reinforcement. Because it is not impeding our lives. It doesn't store it to the forefront of our mind because it is not important to our survival. However, through repetition, not much, but some repetition and conditioning, we can train our subconscious to put positive reinforcements at our forefront so that every day we live a life of happiness instead of a life of trauma. Basically, your subconscious relays an emotion with a memory, a significant memory, right? So if there's ever been a, hopefully, (laughs) more than once, there's been a moment in your life when you were excited about something or happy, my example would be is like if you've always wanted a pony and then your parents got you a pony. Now that may have not happened, but something equivalent to a little child or a young person receiving something they've always wanted and finally getting it. Accomplishing a goal that you've strived to accomplish. You can gloat to anybody in the world about it and they won't be able to say anything because you did that. How you felt. <clears throat> Normally I would like to say people's weddings, but a lot of times the bride and groom don't have the best day of their weddings because they're worried about everyone else. So something that made you super happy. All you have to do is think and try to remember as vividly as you can that moment. And you will see that your subconscious will automatically reach for the files that you have and relate an emotion with it. And it would play that emotion for you as if you were a movie screen projected. And all of a sudden, you'd get this rush of endorphins. You'd just be so happy. Everything's great. You're like, what's going on? Your subconscious doesn't understand that you're just having a memory. Your subconscious thinks that you're reliving the moment in real life again. So it would automatically correlate that emotion with the memory or with the moment that you had. It would play that same emotion again, like a movie. And if you do this all the time, for about a week, two, your subconscious will just leave that reel and the projector. There's no point for it to take all the way back to the files, bring it back out. You're experiencing this notion all the time. Why am I going to keep it? Just leave it up there. And that's what it's going to do. And you'll find yourself living a life of happiness out of nowhere without thinking about it. Without actually having to remember that moment and 
your mind having to relate that emotion to the moment. You will wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Yes, of course. But you will find a way to make that better for you. You will automatically start to look for the good things in life. And that is a very, very important key to trigger into yourself happiness. Condition your subconscious to embed that notion in the forefront of your brain. So whereas the soldier is experiencing PTSD because he had a traumatic experience and he can't get it out of his head, you won't be able to get happiness out of your head because you've trained your subconscious to put that in your forefront. That is why I always say try to find value in everything, even if it's bad. Because if you learn how to find value in everything, including things that are bad, your subconscious will know and condition itself to automatically look for the good things that will help you in anything. So if your car breaks down, you don't say to yourself, I did this on purpose, I made sure my car broke down. No, of course not. But if your car breaks down and you have to walk, think about all the beautiful things you can see on the walk. Think about the reason that you're having this walk. Think about what you can have on this walk that you wouldn't be able to have if you were driving still. I'm not saying to find the good in everything. I'm saying to find value. And if you keep remembering moments in your life that were happiness, it doesn't matter if they're happening or not. It doesn't matter if there's a bad moment that happened after them. Well, maybe not immediately after them. Like, like the pony died right after you got it. Well, maybe don't remember the pony. <laughs> but if you keep doing that over time, less time than you think, your mind will start to reconstruct. Actually, your subconscious will start to reconstruct parts of your mind. Because you have to understand that conscience and mind are two different things. So for instance, when someone says, oh, I can't focus today, my mind is wandering. Well, that's not true, technically. Your mind never wanders, your mind stays at one place. It is your consciousness or your awareness that wanders within parameters of your mind. We can do a small exercise right now, if you'd like. If you don't, you can play this later for yourself. I will just stop here then, because I'm gonna explain what happened and I'm gonna ruin it for you. So I want you to sit down, wherever you are, comfortable, nice, you don't have to do the whole cross legs thing, just sit down, close your eyes, and just take a deep breath in. Now, when you're breathing in meditation, at first, it's not gonna matter. Some people tell you to breathe in for four, and count for four, and breathe out for four. If you've done meditation before and you're familiar with this, then by all means. But if you never have, you don't have to do that. You don't even have to force to breathe. You don't even have to breathe through your nose and through your mouth at first. I just want you to breathe as you see fit. But I want you to breathe without forcing it. Meaning when you inhale, you actually have to flex some muscles to inhale, yes. But when you inhale, inhale as if it were water flowing down a waterfall. Nothing forces the water down it gets pulled down by gravity. Same thing with the air that's going to go inside your lungs. 
it gets pulled all the way down to your stomach, like as if it was water. And then when you breathe it out, you're just letting it escape again. You're not forcing or pushing anything. Because the more you force things in meditation, the less focus you're going to have on what's actually important. So sit down, take a couple of deep breaths in and out, and close your eyes. Try to feel the chair or the couch, wherever you might be sitting, the floor. If it's hard, soft, if your whole buttocks is covered or not, then try to feel the ambiance of the room or the place that you're at. Is it cold, hot, is there wind, does it smell bad, smell good, does it smell like nothing? Then try to listen, but don't identify the sounds. It's going to be almost impossible for you not to. You're going to automatically want to identify all the sounds. That's the air conditioner, that's someone coughing, that's someone's watch, that's someone's cell phone. Yes, of course. Do that as little as you can. Try to put that in the background noise as if it was a train in the long, far away that you're always used to living next to. As if it was a car passing down the road next to your house. that you can hear if you wanted to hear but you don't because you're so used to it. Get used to the sounds of the room and then just let them dance, so to speak, on your eardrums without actually entering your head. Even my voice will be the last thing that is gonna be dismissed as just background noise. And your subconscious is gonna retain all the information I say anyway. But I want you to be clear and focused on just calming your mind. Your eyes are closed and you're breathing. You're feeling the chair in the room. Now I want you to think of the last wedding you were at. If it was a bad wedding, traumatic wedding, I guess you lucked out on this one or you didn't luck out. But the last wedding you were at, do you remember it? Was it long, far away? Was it close by? Was it a lot of people? Do you remember what you ate? Was the food good? Spicy, not spicy? How was the bride's dress? Did she make a good choice by picking the dress? So try to picture as vividly as you can the wedding. Or party, if you will. Alright, now I want you to think of the last vacation you've been on. Anywhere, even if it was years ago. As much as you can, try to remember everything that was far away. Did you go to study, for traveling, for fun? Was the food good there? Was it a boat? Did you spend a lot of money? Did you have a good time? Was it cold or hot? If you remember that. And now I want you to go back the room that you're in, eyes still closed, feel the chair or the floor, feel the wind on your face if there is, hear the faint sound of the TV, or the air conditioner, or anything, and then you can open your eyes. That was a small demonstration of your mind staying constant, and your consciousness floating around in different aspects of your mind. So when you were at the wedding, you weren't thinking about the room. And then when you were at the vacation, you weren't thinking about the wedding or the room. 
They were still there, but you weren't accessing that part of your mind. What happens on a daily basis for all of us is exactly that. Our consciousness wants to go everywhere. You can't stay at one place at the same time, ever. It is the biggest ADHD kid, adult person ever. Even if you're a perfectly healthy human being. It's just in our nature to be distracted. Because if you think about it, how many times, or how many lessons rather, have you had in how to concentrate? What is your observer class in school? Concentration 101? How to focus? Did your parents sit you down and teach you how to focus? Or how to concentrate? When you were a kid, give you a lesson on it. Have your parents ever told you to focus and concentrate? Or your teachers told you to concentrate? Because my teachers and parents would tell me to concentrate all the time. But no one ever showed me how. So how am I supposed to do something if I don't know how to do it? Silly, right? However, the reason we don't know how to concentrate is partially because we haven't been taught. But partially because we forgot what it's like to be focused on just a couple of things. Now as adults, we have so many things that we have to focus on that we always lose track of stuff. That's because our consciousness jumps from one area to another, to the third, to the fourth. And in order for us to stay focused on something, we have to keep bringing it back. Always bringing that ball right back to the center, right next to you. No, you're staying here. And then you do a couple of minutes of work and then it goes away and then you bring it back. And it's constantly bringing that ball back that helps us retain focus on a specific subject. And you almost have to remind yourself all the time. Focus, 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 focus. Meditation revolves around the same principle as new thinking. So it's not new age science, so to speak. It's not new age. It's been around for a while, but science is finally beginning to address and accept the fact that there might be some spirituality to this after all. And everyone that practices Buddhism and Islam, it's like, guys, we've been telling you this for thousands of years. (laughs) Eh, well, you know, better late than never, I suppose. So basically, we've been doing, we've been spending our whole physicist, physics life, science life, looking out up and out at the stars trying to figure out why they're there, who they are, how far they are away. How fast is it at the speed of light for us to get there? So it's 499 seconds. 499 seconds it takes for the speed of light to get from the sun to us. So that's just over eight minutes. That anything from the sun that happens like a solar flare or a coronal mass mass injection or both. They can sit eight minutes later and we're going to have a big time time party in uh, New York City because all the lights will be off. But we never actually looked inside. On a smaller scale of things. We're always looking up. Finally, when we did, we realized we didn't know crap about our insides. We know 8% of our emotions. 8. There's 92% we don't know about. We know nothing of blue whales or dolphins. Dolphins may be more now, but blue whales, we know nothing. They probably know more about us than we do about them. 
because they're way over there. So basically, what we figured out was that on the smallest level of science, there exist cells and molecules and things that make up the molecules are atoms. Now, I don't want to give you too much of a physics lesson, but this is quite important. What we noticed with atoms, electrons especially, those are the negatively charged particles that dance around the atom, keeping it together, so to speak. That's the stuff that zaps you when you hit the metal door, the static. It's a bunch of electrons jump and shift, either onto you or off of you. However, they behave in a way that we've never thought possible. Meaning, we see them as solid states of matter. There are three states, solid, liquid, and gas. Particles, electrons, we thought were tiny, teeny, tiny little particles. Like paintballs, small little paintballs. But then when we took those paintballs and we shot them at a wall with a slit in the middle, an opening, and there's another wall behind it, because we wanted to track how these electrons moved. What we realized, we couldn't believe. I couldn't believe for the longest time. I guess I'm still having trouble believing it. When we shot the paintballs of electrons, so to speak, at the wall, it didn't leave a mark on the behind wall, the distinct sides of the opening. So, if you have an opening that's one foot wide and you're shooting a bunch of paintballs at it, the wall behind the opening should be 1.5, feet, 1.5, maybe 2 feet covered in paint because the paintballs went through the opening and hit the other wall. But what we've discovered is that's not what happened. When the paintballs hit that wall, that opening, they switched from solid into wave. What do I mean by wave? An electromagnetic wave. Okay? A sound wave. It's a wave, a frequency, a vibration in the air. Once the electron broke the mold, it turned into a wave. Could it have been an alien electron? Negative, because all of them do that. What we discovered is that matter, or atoms, electrons, when observed, observed, let that sink in, when we observe them, like when we look at them, they change their behavior as a, as a, as an entity. So it's like if so it's like when you're looking at a kid drawing on a wall with a crayon and the kid catches you looking at him and he starts whistling. They change behavior. It's the first time that we were baffled by this because obviously it's been going on this whole time and we have no idea why. That is going to be very important in the sessions from here on out. But just remember, where focus goes, energy flows. I'll see you soon.